0: There's a phrase that uh, I hear a lot these days. That's kind of everywhere. The phrase is uh, is this: "You do you," "You do you," right? Usually happens at the uh, like the end of a conversation when somebody's sharing their opinion about something. Maybe what they think like you need to do with your own life, and at the end they say, "But hey, you do you." Maybe uh, a little bit passive aggressive, right? That phrase has become the centerpiece of. marketing campaigns, of songs, of of books that are written with you do you as their themes. And the idea is this, that whatever happens, whatever else is going on in the world, no matter what, don't let anybody tell you how you should do your life, what you should do, how you should act, what you should wear or eat or listen to or or, or do with your spare time or your money. You do you. In fact, uh, it's been there for a very long time, that idea, but we're going to get to that in a minute. Uh, I come across You Do You all the time in my world, and I think that you do, too, in music, movies, conversations with your friends, in interactions with your family, in discussions in the classrooms that you're in, in your teachers that, uh, that are there, or the students that sit around you. It even happens in the church. You Do You. It shows up in our feelings about God and spirituality and what we call the church. Maybe you can see some of it in yourself. Maybe you're bringing a little bit of that or even a lot of that philosophy into the room that you're sitting in right now. There was uh, an interview done with this woman named Sheila, and Sheila was asked what she believed about God and how that played out in her life, and her response was this. She said, I am religious, but don't go to church. I believe that God is inside me, my own little voice. She could have easily said, I believe in you do you. One author calls that Sheilaism, Sheilaism, because it's it's become such a trend in American spirituality. Being religious, being spiritual for Sheila doesn't mean being connected to anyone or anything else. It's a personal solitary journey. It's individualistic. It's disconnected from any church or group of other believer believers and if if Sheila goes to church at all she treats it more like like a gym like a health club where she would just go and work out and achieve some individual bodybuilding or weight loss goals but do those spiritually a part of a group but still totally individualistic Sheilaism god is inside me my own little voice and the, and the, the thing about Sheilaism is that it's appealing. I mean, it sounds kind of great. Honestly, God inside me, I'm the captain of my own destiny. I'm, if I'm in charge, there's nobody to answer to. There's no one else to submit to. There's, there's no one that I have to connect with. I don't need anyone else around me to do this life. In fact, if I let other people into my life, it's just going to get complicated anyway. It's just going to complicate things. And truthfully, they may tell me something that I don't like. So it's the perfect combination of spirituality and the rugged American individual above everything else attitude that is a part of the air that we breathe. And maybe you're saying, well, like, sounds great. You know, what's the problem, Gerald? In fact, if that's the case, God inside me, my own little voice, I could solve a lot of problems for me. And if truth didn't exist in this world, <laughs> like if there were no absolutes, then sure, go for it. Like you do you, right? It sounds so good. And the, the reason it sounds so good is that there's some truth to it. You are unique, you are uniquely made, you are different than anyone else that you see. And yes, we should celebrate our differences. The problem is is this, truth does exist. God does exist. And just because something feels and sounds good does not make it true. I can swear to you up and down that gravity doesn't exist. I can tell you that uh, I believe that and you can say to me, okay, well go ahead, like you do you, right? but there will come a moment at some point where I will be faced with reality, where I will be faced with the truth. I can take that belief all the way to the edge of a cliff, but once I step off, it doesn't matter how I feel about it. Gravity doesn't care if I believe in it or not. It's taken me off of that cliff and down to the ground because it's just the reality. Sheilaism, you do you, has become one of the pressures that we face, especially if you're someone who's convinced, or at least you've become curious about the existence of a God who loves you and, and his son who came to save you. Because if truth exists and if God exists and, and if Jesus existed and he actually did rise from the dead and he's alive today, that actually matters. Like it matters more than anything else matters in this world. Like, like if that's true, then it impacts you and it impacts me and all the people that you know and everyone in this, this world. The problem too is this, you do you doesn't really work. It's a nice sentiment, it's a great slogan, it looks awesome on an Instagram post or a bumper sticker, and it can make you feel good, but it falls way short because it's based on something that's only half true. It doesn't really help you when you fall or falter, like when you have a real problem you can't solve on your own, when you're lonely and you're alone, when you can't find within you the answers to the questions that you're asking when deep down inside you know the truth too, that that life is about more than just you and your own self-actualization. It it turns out that this pressure that we face to make our beliefs only personal, individualistic, disconnected from everything else and everyone else is not new. The series we're in is called Life Under Pressure and we're talking about how to face pressure of all kinds to withstand pressure and to stand firm in your faith, to grow in your faith and into something that is a firm foundation for your feet. In the book of Colossians, which is a New Testament letter in the church, to the church that was in Colossae, is a letter that Paul wrote to help you and to help this young church withstand those pressures. in part four of this series, Ethan did a great job uh, taking us through the first half of Colossians chapter two and talking to us about how we can subtly begin to believe something other than the gospel and in a Jesus that's not the real Jesus, but one of our own making. And, and he also said the word ish a lot, which I'm uh, like pretty sure is a curse word. Our advisory team is looking into that. Um, but we're gonna look into the next part of chapter two today. And let me just encourage you, Read the book of Colossians. You can read it in 15 minutes in one sitting, and it is insightful, it is challenging, it is deep, and it is amazing. So Paul's warning them. He says, hey, there's this other philosophy that is being pressed upon you that, that, that you are being challenged by, and I, and I want you to know the truth. Because if you want to cut through the confusion that comes at you in this world with all these different ideas, the best way to do that is to, is to know and understand not, not just what the false things are, but what the true thing is, what the truth is. And when you know the truth, everything else starts to fall into place. So today, we're picking up in, verse, uh, in chapter 2, verse 16, and, and it starts like this. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. There are things in this world that, that we act like are the main thing, but they are merely a shadow of the things to come. There are things that are a means, the means to an end. It's just that we love as humans to make the means Feel like the end. Here's here's how that works. There was a lot of focus, especially in the Jewish tradition, on eating the right kinds of foods and not eating the wrong kinds. And while this started as a way to honor God, it became a legalistic litmus test for who was spiritual and who wasn't. He mentions religious festivals. They they had a lot of religious celebrations, and and he even mentions the Sabbath. And this was the one day a week that they were to rest and honor God in that way. And all of those things were a means to an end. The, the, the means was we're going to celebrate this or eat that or not eat that or rest on this particular day. And, and, and that's going to lead us to the end goal, which is a closer relationship with God. But they'd forgotten about God in the process and, and, and qu- quickly it became all about their attendance at a worship service or, or, Hey, did you, did you work on the Sabbath? You did like, that's a demerit for you. When I was in high school, in college, as a Christian kid, we received a lot of encouragement to have what we called a quiet time, which, like, it wasn't a time out for college kids. It was a regular daily time spent with God by reading the Bible and praying, and, and often, like, they would include journaling, which sounds awesome, right? If it was a means to an end, like the end being a, an intimate relationship with God. But it became... For me, this thing that, that when I did it, I, I checked it off like a box on my to-do list that day and I felt better about myself. And, and when I didn't, like sometimes the guilt, I mean, I, I found myself not feeling so great about myself. I'd let the activity of doing something for God replace the intimacy of my already existing re- relationship with God. Paul says all that stuff, it's just a shadow those things. It's just a glimmer. This worship service, your quiet time, the, your fasting, your prayer, all of it. It's just a shadow of something better that is to come. He was saying, you're confusing activity with intimacy. Don't do that. Don't confuse activity with intimacy. Paul keeps going and he says something. It's kind of weird here, but I want you to stick with me on it. Verse 18, he says, do not let Anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you. Such a person also goes into great detail about what they have seen. They are puffed up with idle notions by their unspiritual mind. So, so there was apparently an, a, an obsession with angels in the Colossian culture. We don't know how exactly that plays out, but they were putting them up on a very high pedestal. So, so high that Paul has to warn them about this there there was this feeling that angels were were maybe more accessible than god And, and honestly like our culture has had a similar obsession with angels, there's a whole angel industry. There's, there's like books and calendars and television series and movies and uh, a bunch of angel movies. In fact, um, a, a writer and director named Nora Ephron, who wrote and directed the movie Michael, which is about a flawed angel, she says it like this. She kind of captures the idea. She says, what people can't stand is everyone wants to believe that God notices you, that he notices the details. She says, the horrible truth is that he probably doesn't notice. He's got more important things to do. But angels do notice, you know, they make the tow truck come when you have a flat tire. That's what this director says. And and this is the biggest issue, that this practice of looking to anyone or anything else other than God starts to introduce these things about God to us that aren't really true. Because the reality is actually the opposite of what she says. It's not that God has ignored us. It's that we ignored God and followed our own path in spite of him noticing and caring about us and loving every single thing about us. Paul says it leads to this false humility and being puffed up. In other words, the thing we struggle with the most is spiritual pride. It's, it's an outcome of taking our eyes off of Jesus himself and putting them on other things. For them, like angels, for, for us, it could be other things. It's an outcome of putting someone or something else on the throne of your life, which is only built for one, uh, they were doing that with angels. We do it with celebrities or self-help specialists or athletes or even, even pastors. But he is pointing us to this truth. The throne in your heart is only built for one. And he continues by telling us that, that, that here's where all of this is leading. Verse 19, they have lost connection with the head from whom the whole body supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews grows as God causes it to grow. Isn't that amazing? All this religious striving, the religious activity, the motion, it actually has this awful unintended consequence, disconnection from Jesus himself. He, says, he said that in the last chapter, he said that Jesus is the head of the church and that this philosophy, this you do you, sheila this religious striving, it separates you from Jesus himself and from his body the church. And and at first I'm like, that doesn't seem right. Like, 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 I should get credit for the things I'm doing to try to reach God. Like, shouldn't that make me more connected and not less? What Paul's implying, he is about to make very clear that Jesus has taken care of any need for striving, that he wants you to be connected. And that there is one very clear thing to understand here. He says it like this verse 20, since you died with Christ, to the elemental spiritual forces of this world. Why, as though you still belong to the world, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Those rules which have to do with the things that are all destined to perish with use are based on merely human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body. But they lack in any value in restraining sensual indulgence. You died with Christ to all of this. You died with him, he says. If you know Jesus, if you've accepted his sacrificial death on the cross for you and that he rose from the dead, you have said, yes, I believe that and I have received that, then you have been reborn and you are now in Christ, which means your old self has been put to death with him, that when he died, you died with him. And what he, when he was raised, you were raised up with him. And Paul's saying, since that's true, why are you letting the world impose these man-made rules on you when it comes to spiritual things? In other words, I think he wants to say like, like to me and to college me, a quiet time is great, but it's not the rule you have to live by. Reading that book or watching that show, it can be helpful, but don't just follow the latest religious fad. Being involved in politics, hey, that's great, but don't let it become your religion. Following a self-help speaker or author, yeah, it can be helpful, but don't let him or her become your God. You already died with Christ. He is your life. You are found in him. He is your Lord, your savior, your redeemer, and your friend. Everything you need, you can find in him. And he lives in deep connection with his church. So connection with Christ means that connecting with his church becomes vitally important to your spiritual life that if you want to connect with Christ, you'll also make it a priority to connect with other believers in the church because that is one huge way that you will experience him. You do you. You know, sheilaism it's at best an incomplete philosophy that doesn't point us or others to the real God as seen through the life of Jesus. What Paul is getting at with all of this is that there are some things that we should be on our guard against when it comes to this faith but it's but it's not being on our guard against certain types of people or the sinners out there it's guarding against anything that would cause us to believe that there's anything at all that we can do to earn God's favor anything that would convince us that this is not 100% about God's amazing grace here's what Paul says to guard against here's what he's saying to us in this passage a faith guard against a faith that judges and disqualifies others So let me ask you this question about that. Are you judging people more than you're loving them? He also says this, he says, be on your guard against, do it yourself faith. Do it yourself faith. Let me ask you this. Do you believe that your standing with God is is, is somehow up to you? He also says this, be on your guard against a faith that relies on other people to fill the gap between you and God. Are you looking to others, to just other people to connect you with God, like pastors or teachers or celebrities? Are you doing that? And finally, this. Guard yourself against a faith that's lost connection with the head. Now, let me ask you this final question, and and please look deep inside your heart and consider this for yourself. Take a minute and think about this. Has all of us striving, left you disconnected from Jesus? Has all of this striving left you disconnected? It doesn't have to. It's just that there's a part of us that that, that can't believe that the gospel could possibly be true, but it is. Like it is, it is the good news, the best news of all. Jesus came to do what we could not. He came to live the life that we could not. He has the relationship with God the Father that we did not. And he is willing to do what we cannot. He wants to repair, to redeem, to reconcile our relationship with God back to the intimacy we were designed for, but that we interrupted with our own sin. And what feels so complex at times is actually at the core, at its heart, really, really simple. In Christ, we are free from the pressure to perform. There are two things you can do with this. And you can do these today. First is this, recognize. Maybe for you, you need to recognize today that you've fallen into some ways of thinking, some ways of striving, some ways of putting pressure on yourself that are not godly, that are wearing you out. And they're actually disconnecting you from Jesus in the process. Second, maybe you need to repent the word simply means to turn around, to do, to do a 180, to turn your back on your sin and to f- your face toward Christ. And friends, it is as easy as that. Jesus says to us, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. And if that sounds too good to be true, it's not. It's reality. Come to Jesus, simply say yes. Turn from your striving and place yourself, your life in his loving hands. He's ready and waiting and able to handle every complicated Every messy thing in your life. Let's pray. God, first, I want to speak for my friends who are perhaps listening or watching today and say that we recognize you. We recognize that you are the creator. You're the giver of all life. And through Jesus, you made yourself known and that you are the giver of all truth and that you give us so much grace that we can't even handle it all. And that we recognize today that this relationship is because you made the first move to us, not that we've done anything on our behalf that's helped us reach you. And second, I just wanna say to my friends too, uh, who are, in a place where they're ready to repent, they're ready to turn their back on their sin and turn their face toward you. Um, I'll say these words for them. I repent of my sin, I turn my face to you, God. I receive the gift of your son and I believe that you died on a cross for me and you rose again so that I might live with you. And that this life is not about me just doing me, but it's about me submitting myself to you and to your incredible adventure that you have for me in this relationship that has moved me literally, God, from death into life. We thank you and we pray this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks again for listening. You can find out more about Love Lake Norman at lovelkn.org. If you live in our area, we would love to have you join us on Sunday. If you're not near our church, We want to encourage you to find a life-giving church to be a part of where you live. That will be a key next step on your spiritual journey. Please take a minute, subscribe to this podcast, and keep up to date with our weekly messages. And thanks again for joining the Love Lake Norman podcast.